<clears throat> All right, to start off this morning, we are going to be um, going back to 1 Kings chapter 17. I appreciate Robin um, reading the scripture that we're kind of focusing on this year. And this morning and today is kind of focused around that theme of discipleship, which we've been looking at for this whole theme year. And as you see, we have the verse right up there when Jesus tells his disciples that if anyone's going to come after him, they have to deny themselves and they have to put away some of their own desires to be able to follow him fully and completely. And we actually have two goals that we were going for this year as we look at discipleship. We have a learning goal and a living goal, one that we can take away whenever we are reading through the passages, and then one that we can go from that point to actually live out and implement in our lives. Our learning goal this year was to understand what it means to be a true disciple, and the living goal is to be a true disciple of Jesus and to make disciples in the same way so that they can also be serving Jesus in the same way as well. Now, I wanted to look back at an Old Testament example that I think really perfectly kind of shows what a disciple looks like and how that functions in normal life as well. So we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> going through First and Second Kings, it's amazing just... The kings aren't really what you're reading it for as much as the prophets and seeing kind of how those interactions um, take place. Some of the kings are big standouts, but for the most part, whenever you're going through, the prophets are the thing that really <clears throat> impresses you or kind of shows God in all these moments. Now, in chapter 17, we're actually introduced to Elijah, and I'm just going to read the first few verses of the chapter 17 there. <clears throat> now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years, except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the book of brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he went and lived by the brook of Cherith, which is the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So just <clears throat> meeting him at this point, <clears throat> we see right off the bat that um, he's coming forward to Ahab and delivering this message from God. And can you give me my bottle behind you? <clears throat> and just telling him that the Lord has this message that there is going to be this drought, that the wickedness and the evil that Ahab and his wife have brought into the land is not going to be able to continue in the same way that it has in the past. All right, maybe that water will help. And um, then we see him take this kind of leap of faith. God tells him, I want you to go to this brook, kind of off the beaten path, and I'm going to have birds come and bring you food. And sustenance. And that's something that would be a really hard thing as a disciple to be told and to just go off into the wild and hope that birds are going to come and bring you food morning and night so that you can survive. But we see that he has this faith and that he's willing to do it. Now going on from there is we see the brook does dry up, that as this drought goes on, that kind of nature starts to set in place there as well. And then as we continue on after verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there, while he commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. 
And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little jar of oil in a jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So we see him coming to this city, following the word of God again, and finding this woman who's at the end of her wits that she's done. (laughs) She's tried everything that she could. This drought's kind of taken its toll. They're running out of what they had. And being a widow, she probably wasn't able to provide in the same way that maybe she could have if she did have a husband who was there as well taking care of her and her child. But we see her making this plan of going, cooking the last of what they had, and then her plan was for them to die after that. Reading on from there, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do what you have said, but make a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So we see this promise from him and just this instilling of faith. We see him kind of sharing his own faith in God with someone else and encouraging her to go on and take care of him as God has commanded just because of him knowing and having faith in the words that God told him, saying, I will take care of you by this widow, then he's trusting that God's going to take care of this widow and her son so that she can also take care of him as well. So then going from there, we see that she did follow. She went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. That's a pretty amazing story, and just thinking about being able to see someone with so much faith that they can instill that in you, and that could be us who instills that in other people, saying, this is what God has said, and let's see what comes from that. And that's a really amazing thing to see that Elijah could bring that about in her life and actually save her and her household at that time. Now, going forward in the next verse, in verse 17, it says, Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. And he said to her, Give me your son. And then he took him from her bosom and carried him into the upper room where he was living. And he laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, Oh my God, have you also brought calamity to this widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that you, the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Just seeing kind of her doubting in this moment and uh, his reassurance and his ability to reinstill this faith by working this miracle, bringing her son back to life and giving him back to her, is just an amazing thing to see that Elijah 
looked to God in these instances, and that's who he cared about trying to please, that he was able to appeal to God and say, please do this for me because this woman has been helping me. And by that, he was able to revive her son and give him back to her. Now, just going through and thinking about some of the stories that we know about um, Elijah is just amazing to see just the faith that he had in God. And I think it's just really a good indicator of what a disciple needs to look like and what a follower of God needs to be. Going forward in um, chapter 18, just halfway down, we see that there's this challenge coming from the prophets of Baal, that they're trying to kind of stand up and say, Baal is greater than your God. We see Elijah challenge them, and they kind of have this face-off where they have the two altars, and they're going to see if Baal can rain fire down on their altar, or if God will be able to do it on his side. So Elijah gives them basically all day, and we see the prophets of Baal dancing around, doing all these different spectacles, trying to get Baal to answer their call and to actually bring this fire down. And sometimes... In the life of a disciple, that's kind of what's going to happen. You're going to have these challenges, and you're going to have to be able to stand on the side of God and say, let's talk about it, let's see what happens, and be able to actually go up for a challenge like that. We see Elijah answering that call, and as we go throughout the verses, we're getting down um, about 25 is whenever Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, he said, choose the ox for yourselves, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And then they took the ox which was given to them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal, and morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leapt about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Neither is he occupied or gone aside, or is he on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. And they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And then midday was passed. They raved until the time of the offering on the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And at that time, the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me at this people, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned your heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, licked up the water that had been in the trench, and then all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. 
the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one escape. In this, we can see that Elijah wasn't afraid of that challenge of standing on the side of God. He wasn't afraid of being able to show up and say, you show me why God isn't true in this instance, and I'll show you why he is. And he didn't just do it kind of half-heartedly or anything. He was there all the way. He was able to try to make it as clear as possible that God was there and that he was the God who they needed to be following. That these prophets who were spreading these false doctrines and teaching the things which were not true, that that just wasn't correct and that God needed to be respected. Now, the interesting thing is Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel kind of have this back and forth throughout the entire time that he's a prophet. And we see them trying to tear him down every time that he's trying to make these um, kind of restorations with Israel as well. The start of the next chapter, we see that um, Jezebel's trying to have him killed and that she's trying to um, take Elijah away. And then I think just looking down a few verses of chapter 19, go over to verse 9. It says, Then he came there to a cave, and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets and the sword, with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it. And then he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking it in pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the earth, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, and for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have torn down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king of Amram, Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. And you shall anoint over Israel, Elisha, the son of Saphat, and Abel, Nehalon. And you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, looking at him last chapter, and seeing this man who's willing to come up against all these prophets of Baal, and then we see this threat on his life again, and we see him hiding out in a cave, and God saying, what happened? Like, what happened from right then to now? What changed? And we see that he's just very discouraged, and that he's taken aback by just the unrighteousness and uh, just the disobedience to God that he sees in the people, that he feels like he's the only one left and that there's no one else with him. And I think 
even though we're all here today and we all have friends that we're able to talk to during the week and everything, sometimes we can feel alone like that too. And we feel like maybe other people aren't trying to serve God or you just feel lonely in your service. Like there's people who you don't have to support you all the time. And isn't it sometimes a temptation for us to go and find a cave to go hide in or to stop or just to kind of back away from it and say, I need a break. And this was Elijah going to take a break in a cave. He was taking off for a while because he just needed a little (laughs) vacation, a little holiday from doing all this service and trying to stand up against all this opposition. And I think that it's just such a good indication seeing that God tells him, he's like, your work's not done and I have more that I want you to be able to do. He says, there are people out there who are going to be with you and I'm gonna help you out so that you can pass this torch to someone else as well. And isn't it the same way whenever we get discouraged and get down? Usually it's because one of two things. We either haven't been looking to God in our life, and so we feel down because that's not what we've been focusing on. Or otherwise, we haven't been talking to God. We haven't been praying to him. We haven't been looking to see what he had to say to us. And so we've kind of missed out on having that spiritual um, revivement that we need to be able to continue following him. Luckily, um, after this, he was able to depart, and uh, he didn't stay in the cave. What I actually want to do is skip a couple chapters and move over to, um, let me see, I believe it's chapter 22. problem when you stop using your notes halfway through. <laughs> All right, chapter 19. And at the end of chapter 19, we're actually going to meet one of the characters which was just mentioned, one of those that Elijah was going to meet after he had left the cave. And this is actually Elisha. Just by looking at our second goal that we have this year as living out and trying to make disciples to be able to be true disciples and to follow after God as well, I think it's a really nice to see in these passages Elijah actually does this he's a follower of God and then he makes others to also follow in the same way he trains them up he teaches them and he also shows them God so that they can continue to show God to other people now what we're going to do is look at 19 verse 19 and it says that he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Saphat and while he was plowing the twelve with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and with the twelfth, and Elijah, Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned, and following him, he took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So we see this very much resembles one of the callings that we see whenever Jesus would walk by and he would see the apostles and he would say, follow me, and then they would start following him. We see Elijah walk by, and as he throws his mantle, his cloak to Elisha, we see Elisha start to follow him. 
in the same way, ministering to him, learning from him, and serving in the same way as well. Now going over to 2 Kings, we're going to skip over some of the times that they spent together and actually move into um, chapter 2 where it shows Elijah as he is leaving the earth and going to heaven. We're just going to read most of this chapter just to kind of get a feel for what was going on and also just kind of the service that we see there as well. So 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by whirlwind to heaven. And Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the, onto the Jordan. And he said to him, as the Lord lives and as you, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together. He struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when he had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And as they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven, and Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah and fell from, that fell from him. And he returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah and fell. Where, the, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he ha also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. So we literally see, we kind of talk about that phrase of passing the torch to the next person. We literally see him being taken up by God and his mantle falling off and Elisha picking up that mantle and starting in the same path that Elijah, his master, his teacher, had just shown him what to do. He hit the water in the same way and God basically shows that he does have that same spirit that Elijah had to be able to do these miraculous works and he parts the water so he can walk over on dry ground now going forward from there just looking at some of Elisha's life is really almost mirror image of what Elijah's life had been as well we see over in um, chapter 4 um, this widow that he's staying with and it says now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha your servant my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord. 
The creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you then? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all the neighbors, even empty vessels, and do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels. And you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And when the vessels were full, she said, full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. And then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you, your sons, can live on the rest. It's amazing just to see the same image. We have the widow. We have the oil. We have these miraculous works which take care of them. The oil not stopping until it was to a point where God could provide for them from that. And we also just see, even though Elisha was not with Elijah at that time, that he's able to do this work if he'd heard about it in the past, or if he just trusts in God just as much, that God will take care of them because he's speaking it. Now going forward, it says in verse 8, Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled chamber, and let us set a bed for him, there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it shall be that when he comes to us that he shall turn in there and one day he came there and turned in the upper chamber and rested and then he said to Gehazi his servant call this Shunammite and when she has called and when he has called her she stood before him and he said to her say say now to her behold you have been careful for us with all this care well what can I do for you what would you have spoken for the king or to the captain of the army. And she answered, I live among my own people. So, she, so he said to her, Then what is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, he stood in the doorway, and he said, At this season next year you will embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived, and she bore a son that season, that next year, as Elisha had said. Kind of in the same way that we see with Elijah, this son which is born to the Shunammite woman and her husband actually ends up dying. And she questions again this power of God that made her get pregnant, conceive, and bear a son. Why would it happen that she lost this child? And we see Elisha in the same way as Elijah, taking this child into the room into that upper chamber and uh, he lays on top of him he puts his eyes on his eyes and his mouth on his mouth and his hands on his hands and then he actually brings him back to life by God's power and just by that we can see that he's living out the same way that Elijah lived out and that's what he did his entire life we can see that in his service to God that he does perform these works that he does prove God again and again and again and that's also what we're called to do, is to live out like Jesus did. And that's what we want to do as disciples. Now, just thinking about that mantle falling down and him picking it up and going on from there, 
I just want us to look at kind of what our call is and what that should mean for us as we go forward as well. If you want to turn over to the New Testament, we'll just look at an example there. Whenever Paul was talking to the Corinthians, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This first chapter, he's starting this book that we know, this letter that he writes to them, has a lot of hard things. It's a lot of tough, challenging things for the church there at that time. And it's a lot of tough things for us to be able to read and kind of think through in our own lives and just see how our service looks like to God as well. In this first chapter, he's really appealing to them to be united and to find their way in Christ. Um, What I want to talk about is more the end of the chapter there where it's kind of talking more of the wisdom that they can gain from God to actually bring about this unity and to make this unity a reality for all of them as well. You want to start with me in verse uh, 26 of chapter 1. It says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think these verses are just so perfect for the text that we just read through to look back and see what did they boast in back then? What was it that Elijah and Elisha boasted in? Was it the things that would make a lot of sense for us to normally boast in or to look for? Would you normally walk to the gate of a city and find a widow who's picking up a few twigs and say, hey, I want you to take care of me? That's not normal. That's not what we would just immediately go towards. But those are the things that God finds, and he makes something amazing out of it. And that's how we're able to really see his power and see how he can bring about a change in our lives, but also in the lives of others. Whenever we look at the altar, it makes no sense if you're going to do a sacrifice to douse it with water three times until it's just dripping wet. That doesn't make sense to us, but it doesn't have to make sense because God makes it make sense. And that's how he indicates, and that's how he shows people what truly is his way and in our life whenever we are coming together here and putting aside different things that may make more sense to us in life but we're trying to do the thing that makes sense to God and that's what living as a disciple really means is it doesn't always make sense in our human perspective but it makes sense in God's perspective and just looking over these verses and thinking about that I just wanted to close on that as just what our calling is, that we are brethren, that we're not wise according to ourselves or to the flesh, but that we can be wise according to God. And that's what makes us a true disciple is being able to actually follow that and put that first in our life so that we can be disciples after Christ. And by doing so, we'll be able to be united in that and really show God to others which is going to lead them to be disciples as well. But David picked a song out for us to sing this morning, just kind of in closing for the lesson and just to kind of think about some of these thoughts. He asked me yesterday what I was preaching on, and I was like, I don't know if it's that helpful. With Elijah and Elisha is kind of a broad topic to be able to find specific songs for. But 
Um, we're going to sing number 601. And uh, just as we go throughout this week, as we think about people who have been good influences in our life, as we think about people who we can see really showing God that it doesn't always make sense. Some of the people that I respect the most in the Lord are some of the people that other people would look at and they'd be like, nah, they wouldn't be a leader. But we can find that even in the places where others wouldn't normally look, that's where God looks and that's where he finds strength and that's where he finds value.